Hello everyone and welcome to Healthy State of Mind, a series dedicated to educating you about all things wellness and well-being. I'm Dr. Tracy Murray of Ochsner Health and today we have an interesting topic. We'll be talking about cancer awareness and how to support loved ones and even support yourself when someone around you, family member, friend, um, close partner is managing and undergoing treatment for cancer. I'm here with my co-host, Kaylin. Hi, Dr. Murray. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am wonderful. Okay. Perfect. Yes. Love to hear it. So what do you think about the topic today? I think it's good. I'm excited to talk to you a bit more about what you do here at Ashner Health. Right. So I am a clinical psychologist by training. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of training related to health. Treating cancer patients is my niche. I'm very compassionate about it. Um, at Ochsner Health, we have very large cancer treatment center. At main campus is the Benson Cancer Center. And we have the satellite clinics all over um, Louisiana and parts of southern Mississippi. And we even trend into parts of Alabama. Mm-hmm. So what we do, it's called psychosocial oncology or psych-onc. And we basically provide services that's therapy, support, assistance with decision-making, medical decision-making, end-of-life care, grief of a loved one to cancer patients and their caregivers or family. So what that could look like is, let's say, someone's diagnosed with cancer and they're having a lot of anxiety about what's to come. We can see and give them coping skills and management. Right. Let's say they're in active treatment and they're really debilitated by how treatment has changed their lives. We help out with that. And let's say they're all done with treatment. Cancer is gone, but they're having issues adjusting back to the usual life. We help with that. And we also see family members um, and caregivers to help them with the adjustment as well. Right. Okay. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, So since you you mentioned you work like primarily with patients who are undergoing treatment for cancer, but mm-hmm. you also see their families. Mm-hmm. What are what are some ways that you help families help their loved ones help who them. are undergoing right. the cancer treatment? And the first thing is, honestly, whatever you feel is okay. <laughs> okay. Right? <laughs> so some people, I should feel like this. I shouldn't feel like this. First thing is to not judge as a patient and as a caregiver what you're feeling or thinking. That's the first thing. I should be doing more. I should have done this. I should have done that. Well, it's okay, whatever you did, whatever you're thinking, and to not to show yourself some grace, basically. But a couple of things that we can do is be encouraging to yourself and to your loved one. So that's saying like we're, some people fear, many people fear death, right? You hear cancer, you think death, but that's not everyone's case. And you're in active treatment. Medical advances are being made every day, clinical trials, new cutting edge things, genetic testing, things that we didn't even have five years ago, three years ago, even a year ago, even. So even with that information, you can be encouraging to your loved one, like say, hey, you're in active treatment. We're not there. That's not your story. And it doesn't have to be your story. Mm -hmm. A lot of times with support groups, people can compare themselves to another person undergoing treatment for the same thing it's like well they passed away is that gonna happen to me you're here now so just encouraging them you're in the treatment your story doesn't have to be their story and I'm here with you so 
being present, focused, and encouraging them that where they are is exactly where they need to be. That's great. Mm -hmm. I have a question about um, what what should we say if a loved one tells us that they have cancer? My first thought is to I want to say <clears> like I'm sorry, but I don't know. Like, does a person who is undergoing cancer treatment want to hear that? I think everybody's different. Right. Yeah. What would you say to your loved one that specific love? It would depend on the dynamics you have. With true. Them, right. Yeah, that's true. So if they came up and said anything stressful, what would you say? I think treat it like that. And even to just encourage and say, I'm here for whatever you need. Mm -hmm. We're going to make it through this. What do you feel like you want to do? So just kind of, again, being encouraging. So part is being encouraging and Treat how you would ever treat your interactions with them. Mm -hmm. So that's a difficult one to answer, depending on the dynamic. Right. right? Is there anything that we sh uh, is there anything that maybe we shouldn't say, or mm -hmm. or how can we be more aware of not treating someone differently and making their diagnosis like their entire? Uh, I don't want to say personality, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like sometimes, don't talk about cancer. Don't talk about it. Sometimes. Okay. saturated with it yeah. right they're in, especially if they're new diagnosis active treatment things are going very fast once you find out someone is diagnosed with cancer they have to get imaging make a plan for treatment if surgery is an option depending on what type of cancer is lab work so they're maybe at the hospital all the time mm -hmm. sometimes they just need to feel like they're a regular human being and not talk about cancer sometimes i say here's your homework you go out to dinner and don't talk about cancer. Mm. You go out and live your life. Cancer is not who you are. It's something you're dealing with. Mm. You're undergoing treatment for cancer. You have other parts of you that are just as important. Some people do like to take cancer on as a badge of honor. Like, I'm a survivor. I'm this. Some people don't. That's why I say there's no right or wrong way. If the person is like, cancer, I want to talk about it. I want to do it. Then go with that. But sometimes people just want to be... Caitlin, yeah. <laughs> want to be Tracy, mm -hmm. right? Want to be Shelby, want to be Bob. You just mm -hmm. want to be you. This is something. So I think honoring that for them and setting up space in terms of that way. Yeah. You know? Some people also say, how are you? That's a tricky question. <laughs> I, well, how do you think I am? Right. 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 <laughs> a better question may be, do you need anything? What would you like to do today? Can I pick up something for you? Mm -hmm. So doing these practical things, like sometimes patient undergo, can you get some milk? Just these, <laughs> right? Can you right. drop me off? Can you do this? Can you do that? But also essentially honoring them as well. Because sometimes they want to do that. So it's a balance. It's tricky. So one way or another, depending on the person. Yeah. Right? And also kind of um, listening. That's what, the, that's what I was saying earlier. Listening to what they want and how they want to proceed. If they have a badge of honor and they want to take this on as being a survivor, then do so. If they want to just see, I have a diagnosis treatment and I want to put it in the wind behind me, go with that. Mm -hmm. So just listening to what they're saying, maybe using the words that they say um, and kind of reflecting that back with them. Yeah. I okay. like that a lot. Right. Let, let them lead their like, narrative. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Was that right. a big one? That was a big one. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, I think it's, it can be very easy. You love someone so much and then you hear, 
what, what is often devastating news and you want to say like, you're, everything's going to be great. Like you're strong. We're going to do this. And all of those things might be mm -hmm. true, but at the same time, that's not your lived experience. It's theirs. So it's best to just show up and be supportive. I like using the language that they use, mm -hmm. repeating that back to them or, you know, because right. it's their narrative, like it's you said. Their and, yeah. and some people, like I've worked with patients and they have loved ones, you know, and, it, and it's not for you to know all of it. That's why I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes patients, when they say, you're strong, you can do this, they don't feel strong. Yeah. And it's okay not to feel strong and work through that. So saying things like prec like what do you need from me? What can I do for you? How do we how do I help you through today? Mm -hmm. Right? And stay in the here and now today may be the best way to go depending on the person. Great. Right. And another thing is also as a caregiver, specifically, the closer you are in terms of caregiving or being a support for the person who's undergoing treatment of cancer, is you gotta take care of yourself. When you're on the plane. And they're doing the safety training and they say the mask come down. Why do they say put yours on first? What do they say? They say help yourself before you help others because you can help more people if you're not gasping for air. You'll pass out. Yeah. You'll fall smooth out on the plane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're trying to put theirs on. Doom, and yeah. theirs not on. Yours not on. We're all fainted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're now people trying to help us who got that. Now it's a big old kerfuffle, right? Yeah. So to take care of yourself first. Now that's, ooh, that's so hard to say. That's so hard to say. And I know even harder to hear for caregivers. But how can you pour into your loved one if you're empty? Whew, dust. You can't. You can't. So taking care of yourself is taking care of them. Basic needs, making sure you're eating, sleeping, time away, time with, keeping at routine. All these things will help fill your cup up so you can pour in. Yeah. Right. So you can be oxygenated. Right. Because if not, y'all are both going to fall out. And then where will you be for your loved one then? Right. Unavailable. Not off the scale. <laughs> in the hospital, in the bed next to them. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I, and I've seen it. I say, if you don't pick a day, your body will. Yeah. Right. People are trying to scramble, do this, bring the treatment. And now they're sick. Mm -hmm. Right. And now they can't manage. Take care of yourself mm -hmm. to be able to take care of others. Mm -hmm. We actually have a special guest today. Who? <laughs> Dr. Laura Finn is cool. an oncologist that works specifically with um, hematology. So cancers in the blood, bone marrow, leukemias, lymphomas, and such myelomas. So she'll be talking with us today, and we're going to cue to her now. Very cool. Welcome, everybody. Again, it's Dr. Tracy Murray with the Healthy State of Mind, and we have a special guest today as we talk about cancer awareness. This is the lovely and wonderfully creative Dr. Laura Finn. She works down at the Benson Cancer Center, where I work, as we talked about earlier, treat, as an oncologist treating hematologic cancers, which we'll explain a little bit later what that is and how that differs from other cancer. Hi, Dr. Finn. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. So we're talking during this episode about how important cancer prevention is. And earlier I spoke about what caregivers can do, what family members can do as a support for 
loved ones with cancer and how to take care of themselves. But I we wanted to spend a portion of the time just in general talking about the medical side of cancer awareness and prevention. So we wanted to get your thoughts. Absolutely. One of the, the strengths of cancer therapy is prevention, and if not prevention, early detection of malignancy. And when talking about blood cancers, a large part of that is having a strong connection with your primary care physician, getting your anal exam. And as we get older, that often will include lab tests. And it's through basic lab tests that will often have the earliest detection of a blood disorder or a blood cancer. And by detecting any type of abnormality early allows us to find things in its earliest stage or even precursor states in the, in the arena of blood cancers to allow for closer observation and hopes to start therapy, even treatments that sometimes can prevent transformation of precursor states to actual blood cancers. So it's, it's rare in other types of diseases that you can prevent or early detect um, a disease or uh, abnormality of the body. But in cancer, just like in colonoscopies for colon cancer and mammograms for breast cancer, it can be through simple blood tests that blood cancers or the risk of blood cancer can be detected and either treated early or prevented. So you're saying like a lot of people can even get this checked with their primary care doctor and not waiting until they feel bad going through the emergency room but if they have a healthy relationship with their family doctor primary primary care doctor they can detect this at least before it becomes an issue absolutely and one benefit of having a very strong relationship with your primary care physician and maintaining that relationship and showing up to those annual appointments is the fact that that establishes a pattern, especially when we're talking about blood work, a pattern of your blood test and what's usually normal for you over time. That way your primary care physician can notice very, what may seem insignificant changes if you haven't had that relationship and have that gift of blood test over time. When you have that relationship and it's strong and they can see that blood work year after year and notice small changes that can then be significant that's how we can detect changes in the blood and risk for blood disorders quite early. So I would say even if you don't have a primary care physician now, establish that relationship so you can start establishing that timeline of blood test results so abnormalities can be recognized early and caught really early. So you know how for breast cancer awareness and prevention, they have an age to do mammograms, like you said, colon cancer has an age to do colonoscopy. Is there any specific age that you should be waiting to connect with the primary care doctor? No. Um, I would say most of us will have a pediatrician caring for us up to the age of 18. Once we graduate to adulthood, that's a great time to start establishing care for primary care doctor, start getting those baseline labs, because our highest risk time period a developing a blood cancer would be around the age of 65, but don't wait till 65. You want those years and years of blood tests before you're that old to establish what is normal for you. So if things go out of your own normal range, this is part of personalized medicine, it can be detected early. Right. Cause I, I often hear a lot of, even the patients I work with, I'm so young. I didn't think I would get 
leukemia. I thought that was an old person, excuse me, old person's disease. It's kind of what I hear. And then yeah. they end up just get, having care straight through the emergency room when we can do much more way earlier, is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Even mentioning that the average age of a blood cancer is about 65. We have a whole field of medicine and even one of the only practices in the state here of adolescent and young adult cancer care. So it does happen even at young ages. There's an entire specialty of cancer care directed to that very unique patient population. So definitely starting at 18, once you graduate from your childhood pediatric care, it's really important to get established for a primary care physician. Even though the average age of diagnosis is 65, be honest, it can happen at any age. Right. So what mm -hmm. actually is a blood cancer? How is that different? Because when we think of cancer, it's easy to breast. There's a tumor, get the tumor out. How does blood cancers or hematological cancers different than like those solid organs or solid tumor right. cancers? Yeah, it, very different. And so much so, it can, you can almost consider it an invisible cancer. Um, it's not quite as... Uh, a, not quite a solid tumor you can imagine in your mind, like a lung cancer or a breast cancer. Blood cancers fall into three main categories of leukemia. That may be the stereotypical classic type of blood cancer we all imagine. That's a blood cancer of our circulating immune system in our blood. There's also lymphomas. That's a blood cancer of our, a special part of our immune system, the lymphocytes, and it can affect our blood or our lymph nodes of our body. And then there's multiple myeloma. It's a blood cancer of our plasma cells that is, again, a unique part of our immune system. And what's different is that a lot of these cancers of the blood are not detectable by pictures. So it's more often by blood tests is their first sign that something is abnormal and the blood is primarily, these are blood cancers of the immune systems. So we're talking about white blood cells, um, a lab that is picked up on your basic blood counts. And it's uh, detectable by the bone marrow. So one way we often have to diagnose these types of blood cancers is by bone marrow biopsy. Something that's different is that we stage many of these blood cancers. We'll label stages to them, like stage one through four. And if like you gave an example of breast cancer, that means something very different. In breast cancer, stage one can be curable at times and stage four incurable at times. But when we stage blood cancers, I think we're talking about the blood. Blood circulates through your whole body. So staging means something very different. Staging tells us location of the disease so that we know it's all gone. But the prognosis can actually be almost exactly the same from stage one to stage four. So it's a whole different field of cancer and cancer therapy that's unique, that it's um, detectable by blood work more often than pictures, and that prognosis can actually be comparable across the stages of disease. Okay. All right. Thank you for clearing that up. I think a lot of people, like you said, the invisible disease, so a lot of people wait until something's wrong with them, like they have a cough they can't get rid of, or they have mm -hmm. a lump, and that's the indication for them to get checked out. But really with these, we just want to keep you connected with your regular doctor. Um, so tell me about some ways that people out in the community can help with blood cancers um, in terms of donating, campaigning, helping family members, all and the like. Yeah. So 
lots of ways you can help. First of all, if someone you know, family or friend, is diagnosed with a blood cancer, support them. Um, I actually have done some work with caregivers of patients with blood cancer, and their primary complaint is loss of friends when they had a diagnosis and loss of their usual support system. So you don't have to understand it, um, but you just have to be there for that person and really just ask what you can do. Um, don't, don't separate yourself from their social circle and be supportive. Second of all is to um, connect with the societies that support these patients. We have some great organizations, American Cancer Society. Um, we have uh, associations here through Oshner that provide patient support. And we have a special connection right now to Leukemia Lymphoma Society that we're working with at the moment that provides a lot of direct-to-patient education and support where financial support actually helps patients get their medications. Um, and the other part is the question about kind of the end of life, if that happens for a patient with blood cancer, is to, again, be there for that patient. Um, one complaint of blood cancer patients is that that loss of sense of normalcy and just acknowledge that it's a part of life and it's one of our most intimate parts of life and to be there for that person. Okay. That's some great advice. And we actually have um, a little bit of a campaign going where we're reaching out to our mm -hmm. audience here to get them, even though that they may not be undergoing cancer treatment or have a family member that they can support because philanthropy is the biggest way that we can support our patients and that we can support friends and our community at large. So we have the LLS campaign. So I'll let Dr. Friend briefly mention about that. I don't want to steal her spotlight, so I'll let her talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> yes. So we are participating in a philanthropy competition. So every year the LLS has a competition. It used to be called the Man and Woman of the Year. And what it does is it collects and brings together uh, adults in the community and we compete with each other to raise uh, the, as, most, as, as much money as possible, the most money for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. It is now called the Visionary of the Year, I guess to not be gender discriminatory, <laughs> as, as the, the word of the honor. And this year I am Oshner's candidate for Visionary of the Year. And so I am one of the 13 competing to raise as much money as possible over 10 weeks. Um, we're in the competition now and it ends June 23rd. And all of the money that's raised for Leukemia Lymphoma Society goes towards either research by over 90% of cancer therapy, including groundbreaking research, such as CAR-T therapy and bone marrow transplants and chemotherapy in some way Leukemia Lymphoma Society has contributed to that research, goes directly to patient education. Um, that is webinars and educational events that even us at Austin here participate and provide expert speakers. So those events, we actually just one had, had one here recently in town in the past month. Or it goes to financial support. Patients with leukemia lymphoma or myeloma, so I should say even it's called the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, it actually benefits patients of any type of blood cancer. They will give financial support to anyone with a blood cancer. They give extra financial support to patients in areas affected by natural disasters. So if all the hurricanes we've had come through here in New Orleans, they provided support to patients. 
They help provide financial grants for oral drugs that sometimes are not fully covered by patients' insurance and otherwise they couldn't afford. So I myself have patients who would not be on their life-saving therapy if it was not for the Leukemia Lymphoma mm -hmm. Society. So it's one of uh, it's one of the organizations for cancer that you can't feel anything but good about contributing to, knowing all of these proceeds mm -hmm. go directly back to patient care in some way. And we're actually holding this event in honor of two local children who have leukemia. It's uh, there are honored heroes for the event, and we're our goal is to collect as much money as possible in their honor. Right. I've had a lot of patients benefit from the LLS mm -hmm. funding. And I appreciate a good, healthy competition. You know, why not yes. compete for money to give back to people, right? Especially if you're Absolutely. like, I gotta win. No, you gotta win to help people. So I appreciate Correct. it. So I, so I want to lose. thank you, Dr. Finn. Win or lose. I was say, win, win or, or lose. lose somebody. Win or lose. Right. The, our patients with blood cancers benefit no matter what. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I want to thank you for coming and giving us a lot of insight, educating us, because I know a lot of times people just want more information brought to them in an informal and organic way, and that's the whole goal of Healthy State of Mind. So again, this is yep. Dr. Finn. She's an oncologist in the hematologic and oncology Department here at Auctioner. Um, we have the LLS uh, QR code. If anyone's out there willing to donate, it'll be available at the end of this segment. But I want to thank you for stopping by and chatting with us. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Dr. Finn. Thank you. So that was good. So I think the overall gist is there are many ways that you as an individual can prevent cancer by keeping up with your primary care doctor, getting regular checkups, overall health and well-being, doing those preventative things like mammograms, colonoscopy, just general labs with your primary care providers, prostate exams, and such just to make sure you're overall healthy mm -hmm. because the physical health does relate to the psychological. Yeah, definitely. Right? And also just thinking about that you're one being, right? So take care of both inside and out. Yeah. Great tips. Great advice as always. Okay. Again, I'm Dr. Tracy Murray, clinical psychologist with Oxner Health, specifically working in the oncology department, helping cancer patients and their family members. This is Healthy State of Mind. Again, not a professional therapeutic relationship. If you're wanting to engage in that, meaning getting a psychologist, therapist, counselor, social worker, please see the resources that we have. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye.